We're going to continue in a series looking at the Ten Commandments, and we come today in our series, Relationship Not Rules, to the fourth commandment and the final commandment dealing with our relationship with God. Remember the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with our relationship with God. The next six revolve our relationship with one another. And so as we come to this last, this fourth commandment that revolves around a relationship with God, it says that you and I are to keep the Sabbath holy. The reality is of all of the Ten Commandments, this is the most likely one for us to take lightly. And I think one of the reasons for that is as we stack it up against you shouldn't commit murder, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't commit adultery, Breaking the Sabbath doesn't seem like that big of a deal, right? Not honoring and and keeping it holy. But you see, nothing could be further from the truth because this is the one command that consistently, time and time again, God's people chose to ignore. And as we studied about Daniel's life this week, we saw a people who, because they chose to ignore the Sabbath and spending time with God, He allowed them to be carted off into captivity. And you and I need to understand that when we ignore the Sabbath in our life, we end up in slavery, heartache, and pain. You see, this fourth commandment reveals to you and I everything that we need to know in order to live not just a productive life, but a purpose-driven life. Take your Bibles or your Bible app. And turn with me to Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for work, for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. And on that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. You see, there's really two parts to this command. The first has to do with keeping the Sabbath holy, and that revolves around our worship. The second is the six days that we have to work, and that revolves around our work. And what we discover is in order to live a productive, purpose-driven life, we need both worship and work. But we need them in the right order. You see, if we become people who work but we don't worship, then what happens very quickly is our work becomes centered around self and no longer about the Savior. And so instead of our work being work that is rooted in service, it becomes rooted in selfishness. But we also, if we become people who worship but we don't work, what kind of a testimony is that to a watching world? We become a testimony to laziness and not to the Lord. And so we discover here two truths, two twin truths about how God wired us when he made us. He wired us, number one, to be worshipers, and number two, to be workers. Our problem is we tend to jump into the work before we do the worship. Now, when we talk about being worshipers created to worship God, we need to understand this, that it revolves around relationship. So many of us, as we read the Ten Commandments, want to revolve them around rules. 
And when we do that, we make it about not working. But you see, it's not so much about not working, it's about worshiping. And how many of us today are teaching our kids, on the Sabbath, we just don't work. On the Sabbath, we stop work for what purpose? Worship. Because if not, we will become people who, given just a short amount of time, will start to worship our work. And how many of us today talk more about what we do than what the Savior has done? We talk about our work, right? Why? Because we're not caught up in worship. And when you and I become workers before worshipers, it's not long before our relationship with God the Father becomes eroded. But it doesn't just affect our relationship with the Father. It affects our relationship with our family. Some of you today have absolutely no idea what's going on in the life of your spouse. Because you're too busy at work. Some of you have no idea what's going on in the life of your kids. Because you have allowed your life to become so wrapped up with work that, that you've forgotten that there is a relational part. And that's what worship is really about. Why is it that you and I have to worship before we work? Because worship prepares us for work. And one of the things that God talks about here is he talks about how on the seventh day he rested. Do you realize that the very last day of creation for God was man's first full day with God? We were created on the sixth day. That means our very first full day of existence was one of what? Worship, not work. Isn't that amazing? You see, the reason that you and I need to be worshipers before we're workers is because worship fits us for work. You see, it molds us into the kind of people that God calls us to be. Worship reminds us that our work is about the Savior. It is about serving. It is not about selfishness. And I want to encourage you, when we find in our lives those times where we we are more driven by selfishness than we are, by servanthood, most of the time it's because we have become workers and not worshipers. But you see, it doesn't just fit us for work, it also fills us for work. How many of us today are missing the worship and so therefore we're not filled up, we're going into work empty. And when that happens, we start to try to fill ourselves with our work. That's why many of us are working crazy hours. Can I ask you a question? What kind of a witness, a Christian, what kind of a witness is a workaholic? They're a witness to self and not to the Savior. But you see, it doesn't just fit us and fill us. It also fuels us. And I want to ask you this question. Is your Sunday fueling you for Monday? You see, most of us, we're running on empty today. Because we're not allowing God the Father to fill our lives and to fuel us for the kind of work that he has. But you see, worship doesn't just revolve around a relationship. It also revolves around rest. And it's here that you and I discover an important principle. And that is that that you and I get to rest in the Lord. Worship gives you that ability to stop working and to start resting. And when you really truly learn to rest in the Lord, you'll learn to rely on the Lord. And there are a lot of us today, we're not relying on the Lord. We're not relying on the Savior. We're relying on strength. You see, resting causes you and I to trust. 
But running causes us to try. And many of us in our Christian life, we're not trusting we're trying today. And we're wondering why we're worn out. And we're these weary workers. The truth of the matter is that God wants you and I to learn to rest in our redemption. And you see, rest is both physical and spiritual. You know, one of the things that is wearing us out in this nation today, it's called worry. And so we're panicked over money. We're panicked over family. We've got all these health concerns and we're just worried, worried, worried. And so what we do with worry is we try to work it away. Can I tell you the antidote to worry is actually worship? It's not work. It's not trying harder. It's trusting Jesus Because here's the thing, when you and I worship, we come into the presence of the king, and in the presence of Jesus is the peace of Jesus, is the provision of Jesus, is the power of Jesus. But you see, it's not just a physical rest, it's also a spiritual rest. And as you and I think about that spiritual rest, I want to ask you a question, are you resting in your redemption today? Has there been a point in your life where you have recognized that you're a sinner. You see, there's two parts to the Bible. There's, we talk about old and new, but there's the bad news and the good news. And the bad news is very simply this. Every single one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But that's only part of the bad news. The really bad news is this. Not only have we fallen short of the glory of God and sinned, but the result of sin is death. And if that's where the Bible ended, how dark and discouraging would it be? But you see, the Bible says that there is a solution to sin, and this is the good news of the gospel, and that is that the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, came, and on the cross of Calvary, he laid down his life for every one of us. And by his blood, we can be bought back from the slave market of sin. And I want to ask you today, has there been a point in your life where you've admitted that you were a sinner? And has there been a point in your life where you have cried out for Jesus Christ to save you from your sin? Because if you have, you are not just redeemed. You can rest in that redemption. The problem is there are many of us today that think we got to work our way into heaven. Here's the thing that most of us think. If I can do all of these good works and my good works outweigh my bad, I'll get in. But the Bible says that if we have sin in our life and we haven't been forgiven by the Savior, then we're not going to heaven, we're going to hell. You see, the truth of the matter is, it's not about working, it's about worshiping. And there are a lot of us today that maybe we accepted Christ as our Savior, but now we feel like we got to maintain this salvation. That the maintenance of our salvation is up to me. And so we slip into this works-based salvation where, Jesus, you're going to love me because I'm doing stuff for you. And many of us today, we're working for God based on guilt, not grace. You know what happens when we have a works-based salvation? We become workers for God, but never worshipers of God. And some of you today, the reason that you're worn out is you have become a worker for God, but you're not a worshiper of God. You see, rest reminds us of a human truth, and that is that our lives are limited. But the Lord Jesus Christ is not limited. And so we've got to do life in his strength. I want to ask you today, are you doing life in self-strength or in the Savior's strength? David said this in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, 
I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. That is the true definition of rest, the restoration of our soul, our very lives. But you notice here that he makes me lie down. Why does Jesus make us lie down? Because rest doesn't come naturally to us. Restlessness does. And some of you today, the reason that you're worn out is because instead of resting in Jesus, you're wrestling with Jesus. Now, the sheep lie down because they got to do this kind of disgusting thing from our perspective, and that's called regurgitate and ruminate. They got to chew their cud, right? They got to get the most nutrition out of it possible. And if they don't do that, you know what happens? They become malnutrition. How many of us today that call ourselves Christians were snacking on scripture? We're grabbing a little snack and we're trying to sustain our lives the whole week. Just, just on one feeding. Now imagine for a moment if, and I'm going to upset some of you, but imagine if after we get done eating this meal, you don't get to eat again for another week. How many of you are going to be poor workers because you're weak? You see, that's what many of us are doing with God's word today. What does it really mean for us to rest in the Lord? There's a story told about two woodsmen. And they were fierce competitors. And they decided one day to have this competition out in the woods where they'd both take an axe And they'd see who could cut more firewood. And they couldn't see each other, but they could hear each other. And so they started out cutting. And after about an hour, one of the woodsmen noticed that he couldn't hear the sound of the other guy cutting. And he thought to himself, he's taking a break. I've got the upper hand. If I would just push through and work harder, I can beat the guy. And so he worked even harder. About 15 minutes later, the guy resumes cutting wood. About an hour after that, he stopped again. And this guy thinks, man... He's getting worn out. I'm going to win. This went on for eight hours. At the end of the eight-hour time period, the guy who had not taken any breaks thought to himself, there's no way that the other guy beat me. I've worked harder and longer. In fact, I've worked almost two hours longer than him. But much to his disappointment and surprise, the other man had outcut him. And he asked him, how is that possible when I work so much harder and longer than you? And the guy said, well, while I was sitting there resting every 15 minutes, I was sharpening my axe. How many of us today are just pounding away at the trees of life with a dull axe? We are furiously busy and we're working longer and we're working harder. And as a nation, we're not becoming more productive. We're becoming more destructive. Why? Because we're not allowing Jesus, the Savior, to sharpen our lives. And so we've become dull and, and, and fairly ineffective. And it's not a matter of trying harder. It's trusting Jesus and allowing him to sharpen the axe. Why don't we rest in Jesus? Why are we so shying away from this Sabbath rest with Jesus? Because sharpening the axe isn't always fun. You see, sometimes it requires a little friction in our life in order to wear away the dull spots of our life. You see, sometimes it requires some heat. Sometimes it requires some sparks. Those of you that knew me four years ago, when we shared with our church that I was going to take a sabbatical and be gone for three months, thought, how in the world can that be productive for our church? 
And those of you that have been around during that time period, I think, can testify to it's probably one of the best things our church has done. Why? Because time with Jesus changes us. You can't spend time with Christ without being changed. How sharp is your axe? You see, it's here after we are prepared through worship that we come to work. And most of us today, we see work as a negative thing. Now, there's two parts to this work. One is responsibility. The other is reward. We have become a nation that want the reward without the responsibility. And part of that is because we have a negative view of work. But I'm going to tell you, work is not the result of sin. Adam, according to Genesis 2.15, was placed in the garden prior to the fall, prior to sin entering into the world. And he was called to be a worker. You see, God wired us for work. And any nation that implements welfare without work will destroy its people because it destroys our dignity. You see, today we have come to the conclusion that there's only one form of wealth when it comes to work, and that is riches. And that's why many of us are chasing after riches and we're ruining our relationships. But I'm going to tell you there's so much more wealth that comes from work because there is a wealth of a sense of feeling like you have accomplished something, that you are a part of something. You see, there is a dignity that comes out of that. And one of the problems with welfare without work is it focuses solely on the problem and not on the people. And so we look at people who are poor and we say, well, they just need a handout. That's all they need. They just need money. But I'm going to tell you, the mission is so much greater than money. It has to do with the dignity of human life. And we're destroying that in our nation today. In the book of Leviticus, God has a plan for poverty. And here's God's plan. Those of you that have position, that have plenty, that are in a position where you own land and you can do things, they were responsible to plant the seeds and to cultivate and to bring the ground to a harvest. And then they were only allowed to harvest the center of the field. The very edge, the easier to get to spot was left for those that did not have provision, the poor. But you notice that the poor had to go into the field and actually harvest. They actually still got to do work. Why? Because God wanted to to maintain their dignity. You see, the rich and the poor had a responsibility here. And many of us, we say, well, that's Old Testament. Let me tell you what it says in the New Testament as Paul was preaching the Thessalonican church in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. You notice here it's not just about being busy. It is about being involved in business, God's business. And and. Many of us think that work is just about a bunch of activity today. If that is true, if it's just about being busy and activity, then why is the ant praised and the mosquito swatted? I'll tell you why the mosquito swatted. He's busy, but he's busy what? Sucking blood. And you know what happens when you and I become people who want welfare without work? 
it doesn't just destroy our lives, but we start to bleed the lives of people around us. And I'm not talking about people that legitimately have disability and we need to take care of. I'm talking about people that can go into the field and harvest. You see, the, you and I need to ask ourselves a question. In my work, am I just being busy or am I being a blessing? Because it's here that we come to the reward. And we've been studying the life of a man named Daniel all week in, in Vacation Bible School. And it was awesome to see three kids this week, at least three kids that I know have come to Christ. But as, as we were learning about Daniel, this mighty man of God, Daniel understood those two twin truths of worship and work. And there came a point in Daniel's life where the king told him, you can work, but you can't worship. And Daniel understood this. If I can't worship, I won't be fit for work. I won't be filled for work. I won't be fueled for work. So I'm going to worship anyway. And he was thrown into the lion's den. And it's there that you and I see not just the protection and provision of the Lord, but we see God promoting him to even greater things. And some of us today, we have forgotten this worship ethic that we need to build. And parents, I want to encourage you. I hope that you're talking to your kids about honoring life. I hope that you're talking to your kids about things like don't steal, don't kill, don't commit adultery, be faithful. But are we talking to our kids today about the Sabbath and the holiness and, and the rest in the Lord and, and the fact that we need to create a worship ethic, not just a work ethic? There's a story told about a farmer who understood his purpose as a father. And he was greatly criticized by the other men in his community. You see, while all the other boys were playing at the watering hole, his boys were working hard in the cornfield. And one day some men came to him and they, they criticized the father and they said, what is your problem? Why are you working your boys so hard? You don't even need all that corn anyway. And the wise father said this, guys, I'm not raising corn, I'm raising men. Some of us have lost perspective as parents as to what we're really doing. And we understand today if we are going to raise men and women of God that will change this nation, it requires way more than just a work ethic. It requires a worship ethic. And I think that the real reason why we are where we're at in our nation with so many kids today that don't want to work and don't want to have a work ethic is because a long time ago we had a generation that understood worship and work. And then there was a generation that they saw the rewards of the work, but they, they said no to the worship. They said no to the resting in a relationship with Jesus because they just wanted the rewards. And so they started to work really, really hard, long, long hours, forsaking their families. And these kids were growing up in these families, and they're watching this incredibly hard work ethic. But because there's no worship ethic, work just becomes about selfishness. It becomes about temporary things. Eternal things are out of the picture. It's just about the earthly. And so these kids are like, if that's all there is to life, I'm going to live for 80 years and just work just to have stuff that has no meaning to me. That's where our generation is at. Your kids are at today. And they're looking at us and they're going, there's no purpose to work without worship. And so they're rejecting a work ethic. 
And I think if we want to come back to a nation that understands and creates again a generation that has a work ethic, we've got to give them a worship ethic. That the whole purpose of their work is not selfishness but servanthood. And so I want to ask you, where are you at today? How are you doing when it comes to this worship ethic and this work ethic? And some of us would say very honestly today, I'm, I'm just doing awesome with the work, but not so much the worship. And I want to ask you this. Do you want half the blessing or do you want the whole blessing of God? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. And I just pray that as you have spoken into our hearts, as we've watched these amazing kids worship, that God, those of us that are charged as parents to pour into our kids' lives, we would have a healthy perspective of worship and work so that we raise a generation that make a difference in this nation. For we pray these things in your name. Amen.